So that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained from the blood with the blood of his own son. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by so toiling one must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had spoken thus, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Peace be with you, the reader. the glory which I had with you before the world was made. 
I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you did send me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are mine, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Peace be to you who proclaims the gospel. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On this Sunday, the Church remembers the 318 Holy Fathers who convened the First Ecumenical Council in Nicaea, and this council really was summoned by St. Constantine the Great to address the heretical teaching of a man by the name of Arius, who denied the divinity of Christ. He said that he was merely a created being and was not of uh, one essence with the Father. Today's gospel obviously doesn't speak about the Holy Fathers who convened at this first council. It talks about the last prayer that Jesus our Lord gave to his Father while he was on earth. And it showed really the effects, though, that it had on the council. The epistle reading today could probably be more apropos for what we're remembering in terms of these early fathers of the church at least in terms of St. Luke uh, warns us about in the Acts of the Apostles that was read, particularly that passage, part of the passage that reads, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with the blood of his own Son. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, that is, within the body, within the church, will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And this is certainly uh, shown in the case of Arius, who was very insistent on what he believed and what he was teaching. And he not only took some of the faithful, but he took also and convinced some of the the, uh, clergy within the church as well. If we look, though, at the prayer itself, and not in its entirety, I I want to just read a section of that as well, but to focus on one particular thing, because the two are really tied together. 
Our Lord says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them words which you gave me, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. Can you imagine that? I mean, I ask people all the time, please pray for me. But can you imagine just going straight up to Jesus Christ and saying, pray for me? You know, they say that the, the, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. <laughs> Here we have one who is the righteous man. I am praying for them. I am no more in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He's asking his Father to keep them in his name, so that they may remain one. In other words, Heavenly Father, keep them in your name, so that they not become divided, that they not begin to pursue individual uh, quests in life and to be separated from one another in will, but to always be united in your name. And that is the name of love, the name, name of unity, in peace, in concord, in faith. Let them always be one, of one mind, in you. And this is what our Lord has prayed for all of the world, that each and every one of us be one in faith, one in mind, one in will, according to the will of God, not according to each of our own individual wills. And when you think about Arius and you think about his heresy, he's just one of many. But there were others who came and they were teaching false teachings. The church is the body of Christ and those who convened and came together, the holy fathers of the church, whatever council, whether it was ecumenical or local or regional or whatever the case may be, they were not coming together because they wanted to prove that person wrong. This is something we often do. When we get into a discussion or an argument, we are set on proving the other person wrong. And that could be with a co-worker, with a schoolmate, with a parent, with a child, with a sibling. We want to prove our point. We want to show that we know what's right. That I know what I'm talking about and I'll prove it to you. And here's the proof. Here's my argument. When the fathers came together... Their purpose was not to prove that they were right and what they had been given. Their whole purpose for coming together was to restore the person who had diverged. Their whole purpose was to bring them back into the flock where they could be loved and nurtured and be in unity of mind and will and faith. This was their whole purpose and intent. When we add this passion of ego and anger uh, to our arguments, then it, it, it's no longer about truth. It's certainly no matter, uh, not, not a matter of love anymore. It's about me being right. And I have to prove that to you. People, this is the worst way we can go. Every conversation we have with our spouse or our children or a father or whoever it may be, Imagine if every conversation, and even if it turned into a somewhat heated discussion, that our primary purpose was to bring them to love and to Christ. That was our only, that's our only goal. It's not to walk away and say, I won that battle. 
I guess I was able to show them by everything that I know that I was able to prove that they're wrong. If this becomes our goal, then we're doing nothing but self-serving our ego. We certainly do not have the other person in mind. And in that, we can really cause a lot of harm, not only to the person with our words and our ways, but we also ultimately cause damage to ourselves by doing such a thing. When we look at the fathers of the church, we have to always look at them in this context, that they did these things because they wanted to restore whoever person or group it was that had strayed from the truth, from the flock. It was always out of love. When humanity strayed, God sent His only begotten Son into the world. Why? To prove that everybody that they were sinful and wrong and they'd done bad things? No. He sent them into the world because He loved them and He wanted to restore them all to the dignity of who they were created in in His image. It was out of love. We have to really think about this because this happens daily and sometimes multiple times daily when we get into discussions with people if, if, we're, if we're energized and we're sort of motivated because we want to find out who's right and who's wrong, we're going to cause a lot of damage. We're certainly not going to be shedding the light of Christ in that moment. But when we can begin to see that I'm having this conversation because I love this person and I want to restore them to the love of Christ, then God will guide that conversation. God will give us the words. God will give us everything in order to help that person. And that person won't be able to argue because we're not arguing for the sake of arguing and for the sake of being right. We'll be arguing with them or discussing with them for the sake of them being restored. So when we look at this, because there's a lot of people who like to carry the flag of orthodoxy around the streets saying that we have the faith, through faith, we're the right ones and you guys are wrong. That's not, that's, that's, a, that's a human flag. That is not a divine flag. This is not our purpose to to defend the truth in some strong uh, argumentative way. This is not this is not what our Lord has asked us to do. The way that our Lord would uh, would dialogue with people, whether it was those who were sick with physical illness or possessed, or whether it was even the Pharisees or even on his trial, he spoke with peace and patience, humility and love, because he always, always wanted to restore people. And this should be our goal as well. We should have no other goal. So every time we enter into any sort of dialogue, let's stop and think, why am I doing this? If it's to feed my ego, and if it's to feed my pride, and it's for me to sort of lord something over somebody, know that it is of the devil. It's not of God. That we should always look to restore people in a spirit of love. Then we'll be taking on the spirit of these councils, and the spirit of these fathers who attended these councils because they gave their lives out of their love for Christ. And that's exactly what we should be doing as well. Amen.